Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 63 was recorded live Thursday, April 21st, 2011. Welcome to Scuba Obsessed. This week, uh, I'd like to welcome back once again, Don Mack, our mentor. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Now, if the uh, weather would get a little warmer, I'd like it a lot more. Oh, I I think it's coming. I'm predicting that we're going to have a hot summer because my my theory is that the longer you wait before you get good weather uh, or warm weather, it has to bounce out somewhere. So we're just having less days to have more heat. Well, I hope so. I'm looking forward to a little more heat. Yeah, it definitely looks like winter this weather. I pulled up the extended report to see what we were going to look like this weekend, and it seems like every day it had a chance of snow. Well, if there's anything like, what was it, uh, Tuesday when we woke up? We'd have had Easter egg hunt that day. We just threw the eggs out into snow. Wouldn't yeah. have to hide. <laughs> yeah, just buried or tunneled underneath the snow banks. So, yeah, we're just we're just not having much of a much of a spring yet. In fact, it's almost a non-spring. Well, last year at this time, we had been diving really heavy in the month of April, and the water was about eight degrees warmer already. Yeah, so maybe maybe that will keep the uh, visibility a little better a little longer, but I'm, I'm not holding my breath for that. Well, like we discussed at the club meeting on Tuesday, visibility has not been that good this year, or at least so far. Other than the ice, uh, even last year's ice dives were better visibility than this year than this year's. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we we yeah, the visibility this year in the ice dive uh, wasn't going real well. Well, 40 feet compared to 60, 65 last year. Yeah. And uh, the dives this year, I think the best they said during the weekend was uh, what 15 foot, and I think maybe that was stretching it because ours was anywhere from five to eight. So visibility is is quite interesting, meaning it's quite low comparatively compared to what it was last year anyway. Yeah. Well, maybe we just need to seed some more zebra mussels or something. That might take care of it. <laughs> we could do it with a few less of those out in the big lake anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll go ahead and talk about some of our dives that we had this last week, but we're going to jump right on into the news. Uh, we, we have a few articles. So the first one is uh, almost a blog post more than anything else. It was from Arizona an author out there and it, by the looks of it, it it appears to be a question and answer column from the Arizona central. Uh, the author Clay Thompson takes uh, questions, tries to look at him humorously and it's from his Valley 101 column. And it was uh, today's question was, I'm a bit of a danger junkie and a technical scuba diver to dive to 300 feet using trimix. I also like to skydive, but only done so about a dozen times. My question is, which is more dangerous, scuba diving, especially technical, or skydiving? My wife wants me to quit both. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, and, and it's good to have you on, Mac, because uh, you got a perspective on both of those. Well, a little bit. I'm, I'm sort of curious about the term danger junkie. I'm not sure that I would consider myself that more, or the guys I jump with, or dive with, or other items with. <laughs> I'm sort of curious about the danger, and I think adrenaline junkie might be more appropriate. Yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I agree. I, I think a lot of people think we we do this because we like it to be dangerous. We we like the excitement. But uh, the the comment from the article, we won't read the whole thing. But uh, I agree with your wife, unless you have a really big life insurance policy. Uh, my theory and stuff like scuba diving, skydiving, there's enough way to get killed without seeking them out. So uh, the the assumption is that uh, people who are doing those activities are doing it because of the risk of death, uh, not the enjoyment of the activity. Uh, he, he goes on to talk about some of the fatalities, uh, of which he said there were 21 skydiving fatalities last year among 32,000 members. And then in scuba diving, he said he couldn't even find any numbers and that he didn't believe numbers anyway. So uh, I, I would dare say there's there's been, as much as I don't like to talk about the fatalities, I know there's been more than... 21 uh, fatalities in scuba diving in this last year. 
it's it's been a bad start for this year, but the interesting part talking about fatalities though, in jumping it's not the equipment. It's the uh, individuals. Right now, it's collisions on landing. Two people under fully operating canopies run into each other and die. I mean, you run into somebody 200 feet, and you're basically out of luck. You're going to fall 200 feet. Yeah, and you don't have any time at that that altitude to you know, pull a backup or anything. You're just going to hit the ground. You're going to hit the ground. And, and generally, that's, uh, that's the biggest thing that's been killing us uh, is the landing is is not the malfunction equipment. It's impact on landing because you're doing hook turns and you pull out a little late and you hit, you know, face first at 60 miles an hour, which is generally not something good. Or again, you're running into somebody else, collapsing the chutes and you both fall. Uh, but say, I don't really consider it risky. Well, okay, let me rephrase that. <laughs> it's different and there is a hazard to it. And it's not like, oh my God, every time you go up, you're going to die. You're really not. In the old days, it used to be one out of 650 times you jumped, you'd have a malfunction. Nowadays, it's up to 1,000. And generally, when you look at the people who have malfunctions, that's because they pack something wrong. I have I know some people who have seven, eight, ten thousand jumps that don't have any of the other professionals. It seems like it averages about one per thousand jumps, and that seems to be a pretty much of a standard. So one per thousand, they're not going to open? Well, you, you'll have a malfunction. doesn't mean it's not correctable. Oh, so you, you, that could be your primary shoot, and then you just go and pull the, the backup. Well, you, you either fix that one or you get rid of it and open up your reserve. Okay. Yeah, because I was going to say, if that was the case, then I would stop at nine ninety nine. <laughs> I've seen people have their first at three, four, five, six. Yeah. But again, it's when they start packing their own, if they get in a hurry, I don't get in a hurry. I try not to get in a hurry. Uh that's when you're opening yourself up. Uh, the diving aspect for recreational diving like we do and for grubbing, I, I don't really consider that hazardous at all. Obviously, river diving is a little different. Uh, when you start going into your tech diving, now your your potential for, for an accident increases tremendously. So if you want an adrenaline, I think that 300-foot dive is is definitely an adrenaline uh, a dive. And again, it takes a lot of planning. You know, and, and that's not your norm. I don't think your your heavy duty tech diving is the norm. Recreational divers. I agree. I, I don't think the tech diving isn't the norm by any means, especially numbers. But there's a lot of us who uh, are either there or, or getting close to being there. Um, but uh, all the tech divers I know, they they take quite a bit of uh, planning to make sure that whatever happens, uh, they, they have a way or a way of getting out of or escaping from. Their backup, well, it's like they say, plan your jump or plan your dive and dive your plan yeah. and then anticipate contingencies and then make sure you have backup. Yeah. yeah, kind of the final comment from the articles. For starters, you can learn to scuba dive in fairly shallow water. Aside from uh, jump towers, there isn't a way to scuba diving without going all the way up there. <laughs> so it, it sounded like he convinced himself that. Uh, scuba diving was a was a little bit safer. If you're interested in numbers, you can always go to the, the Dan organization, and uh, which I think is dan.org, but we'll do a, a link in the show notes. And they they've got information on fatalities. My my, my guess, and this is not based in any real numbers recently, but that a lot of the deaths with scuba diving uh, are are health or condition related, not necessarily the the activity of diving itself i think I, I would concur with you i think look at the number of dives and the the time of a dive an hour versus a minute minute and a half for a free fall uh, i think you've got many more hours days i mean you've got much more time collectively for diving with a less accident ratio i think than skydiving if you're looking at the event exactly time. exactly you know it, it's so so easy for if you're not in the best of condition, which many of us aren't at our top physical specimens we once were, uh, you know, stressful activity is going to bring it out. You know, not, you know, if, if you're going to die from a heart attack in the next three months and you're also a scuba diver, you're increasing the likelihood that it's going to happen underwater uh, if you're in that predisposed to having that problem. Well, absolutely. That's like if you're diving in the clear, warm waters of the south, you can get away with a lot more than you can if you're diving in cold, dark water. It's a fact. It's a psychological aspect of it. The next article, uh, this one is out of Australia. 
down where somebody from the ch- in the chat room is from, uh, Craig. And I assume that you know Australia, which we know is similar in size to continental United States, that you know everybody down there knows each other. Uh, this one is from the Mercury.com.au. And uh, the alarm at Dirtwort Invaders. The river Dirtwort has been invaded by some uh, marine species that Sydney and Melbourne's busy ports and have destroyed some native populations. University of Tanzania study by scientists. Marine managers, recreational scuba divers did not find any native species on the seafloor close to the Hobart port. Uh, this was a study done by volunteers. Uh, uh, the research revealed uh, reefs. Marine villains, including a couple of species of sea stars, crabs, and three fin fish. So uh, we'll have again. We'll have this article in the show notes. You can go check out all the details. But uh, they're saying that uh, some of the this invasive species have affected things down there. Well, sounds a bit like us. I think it's happening everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're getting it here. In fact, uh, those gobies that we sing on all the wrecks. I thought those were all native, but those those are all invasive. Well, you figure we have over 25 non-native species of fish in the Great Lakes that have been introduced in the 1800s. And like you said, the round goby, the sea lamprey, for example, uh, the alewife, Asian carp, those are examples of invasive species that are not normal to this Lake Michigan. Yeah. Uh, so when you, when I think about the dive and the, and the fish I see, over half, if not three quarters, are all invasive species that I will typically see in a dive. Well, a lot of times, too, you hear about the invasive species, such as an animal type, but one of our biggest hazards here in Michigan is some of the invasive mm-hmm. I mean, you've got well, the different type of variations of them, you know, like the common reed, the canary grass. Uh, around here, I think it's the Eurasian milfoil. That's what you see there in uh, Pawpaw Lake, for example. Mm-hmm. Those are the really hazards, well, hazards to the lake, not necessarily hazards to us. Well, they they can be hazards. Uh, some of those weeds, if you're not careful, you can easily get tangled in them, and they're and they're getting thicker. Well, yeah, we we I think call them uh, freshwater kelp. Only uh, they're a lot thicker than the the kelp beds I've been in. Yeah, I, I haven't been in kelp before. I've seen photos of it, and that looks much more enjoyable to be in than than some of these weeds. Well, I've been in in, uh, in California, Half Moon Bay, up towards Frisco area. Uh, when you have those, you also have otters and stuff out there, which is pretty neat. Occasionally, you'll have a, a great white or something come in because of the otters, and they happen to eat all them, and they look at the other little black objects swimming out there in their wetsuits. can be interesting. The next story we have up on our docket is local divers work to preserve ocean's health and beauty. Um, this is out of Florida, and they're talking about uh, local divers going into the Gulf of Mexico and the education programs they're trying to do, preserve the marine ecosystem, uh, don't touch protecting the coral reefs. Uh, they're focusing on anything associated with the waterway, says one of the program's organizers. They bring up anything from bottles and cans lost overboard by careless boaters to things that are deliberately dumped. Uh, what they're trying to do is combat some of the rising CO2 levels that are being dissolved into the ocean with increased acidity of the water, which is displacing mineral corals needed to build their skeletons. It's uh, they say if it becomes bad enough, these skeletons could actually dissolve. Yeah, a combination with that CO2 level is a, a slight increase in the temperature, which messes up the uh, reproduction of those type of items. So CO2 and rising temperatures of the ocean water, I think, are the majors. They, they commented on 60% of the world's reefs are under immediate threat from human contact. I have a little trouble with 60% of the world's reefs. Yes. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's that many divers out there dorking around. Yeah, that, that was a conversation I had uh, with somebody earlier today, is that uh, as human beings, we have no way of comprehending numbers. So if you take a look at the coral reefs, divide them up to 60%, and you were to have every human being underwater spread out, touching as much as they could, that we wouldn't even touch one-tenth of 1% one percent of what that 60% is. So that's not being done directly by divers diving on those reefs or, or humans directly contacting it. I think we take a little bit too much credit for what we're doing. Not saying we shouldn't protect them and, and do what we can. Um, but I, I think the, the challenge that we have with some of this is how quick these environments can adapt to the change that's coming. I, I don't believe the change 
can be reversed. So it's the and how quick the environment can come to it. So uh, you know it might be a different species of coral is going to have to replace what has been there for you know the last hundred thousand years or something. Well, it would be nice if they could find something that they could help them populate. But again, I think it's really pollution as much as anything else. Oh yeah, certainly pollution. We've seen that where uh, I remember Jacques Cousteau had some really great videos of some of the the rivers and plants and just what you know, raw sewage could do to a reef. It would just absolutely decimate it. So uh, that type of pollution definitely has an immediate impact. And I'm, I'm quite sure that that is exactly what they were talking about. I'm not sure 60 people or 60% of the, <laughs> the divers do it, but I'm definitely sure that the, the pollution is really what's kicking kicking their butt. And again, the rise of the temperatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next article, and, and I love the na- this name, Del Jerseyland. It, it almost, it's, for some reason, I figure feel like that should be in Wisconsin, not so much in the East Coast, but that is supposed to be short for Delaware, New Jersey, and Maryland. So uh, there, there's a name that came that was come up by committee, if ever I heard, I've heard one. Uh, it's a Navy destroyer will serve as a reef. We've covered this article a few times. Uh, ship will be sunk off the Ocean City coast. Should be ready to boost fishing and diving. So it's good to see that that's still going on. I've been seeing that sinking wrecks for reefs has really come out of favor in the last year, and a lot of these organizations are are fighting them, the, these ships, the reefs programs. Uh, a former Navy destroyer will soon be sunk off the Maryland coast to serve as a fish-attracting artificial reef. The USS Arthur W. Radford the 563 vessel will be sunk in 130 feet of water in an area about 28 miles northeast of the Ocean City Inlet. So this is a, a mostly positive article on this. And uh, you can go back through show notes many times and see all of them that we've talked about. But I, I'm just interested that they felt that they had to be, they had to name this reef Dell Jersey Land Artificial Reef. I don't know, but that's a healthy wreck they're putting out there. Did you take a look at the picture? Yeah, I mean, look, at I love... Uh, now, I saw another one, so maybe I'm mixing them up. I thought I saw another one that had more of a, like a tower, or they taken the, the sheathing off that tower. Maybe I saw it before they were doing some cleaning. Because it used to, didn't it used to have some sort of protection on well, what, it? What are you talking about, though? You mean the, the destroyer? Yeah, the destroyer. It seemed like they used to have some sort of, that tower or mast used to be enclosed, and now it's opened up. Maybe I'm mixing up it up with another wreck. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at this one here. It's six, uh, 563 feet. And I'm looking at the body of it, and that's uh, that's a pretty that's a pretty looking that's a big ship. Yeah. And I'm looking at the square superstructure, and it's like I figure if that's sitting on the bottom and 130 feet straight up, you've got at least 50 or 60 feet of ship there. Oh, so I, I think so. Hit that on a recreational dive with no problem. Yeah, and I think that was one of the objectives was to get it. They they wanted to have the bottom at about the maximum of recreational limit, and then have everything floating up above, which is good. And I think they do that also, so the um, storms and stuff do not move it around, because you can get some hellacious currents, oh, even yeah. 100 feet, and they need to get it deep enough that the surges and stuff won't affect it enough to, you know, turn a turtle or turn it over. Yeah. Also, I'm sure they don't want it to be too shallow to, to be a navigation obstacle that things well, can run into. Yeah. I think the biggest hazard there you do is catching nets if they're doing any, you know, net fishing out there. Well, I, I don't think there's anything you can do to this vessel to keep it from collecting nets. By the look of it, uh, I see a lot of spots that it's going to be able to, to take. Now, I'm assuming they're taking the crane off that forward deck, or is that from the dock? It looks like it's on the dock. Uh, they're also, in an area where it's being sunk, they say there's wooden dry docks, two World War II era, era, era U-boats haven't previously been sunk. Now, when they say that, I wonder if that meant sunk during the war, or did they sink them? I don't think they sunk them, but... Because it seemed like you would you would call it out. Yeah, the way they worded it is a little awkward. Yeah, um, they're they're expecting to be a good economic boost, which I agree. I think it will be. You um, know, when they say that, I'm always curious about the return on the investment for that kind. I really do wonder how many divers dive that in a year. Because being if it's 28 miles offshore, that's a lot of travel time to and from. And how many people do you think get on that in a year? Because you got your winter months, storm months. So I wonder how many divers will actually get on that particular vessel in a period of one year. And I've always been interested in that return on your investment aspect just to see that. 
because most most uh, preserves talk about that. You're going to make money. Well, it, how much does it cost to sink one of those ships? Oh, it, it's not inexpensive. Uh, I saw another article, and the number they quoted I thought was cheap. It might. It seemed like they had a number of about nine hundred thousand. And for something this big, I was thinking that was awful light. That is awful cheap because even for the ones around here, they wanted to sink the um, the fee for making them ecology safe or ecologically safe is in the millions. Yeah. So return on the investment, where'd the million come from? Yeah. Well, you're. You, it's not going to be from the dive operators in the area. There's no way that they can come up with a million. So they're kind of doing it on faith that the broader economy is going to benefit. Uh, now, the people who are against it, they'll, they'll, they cite multiple millions of dollars in expense to clean them up, and they maintain that they're uncleanable, that, they're, that you, you can't clean them up. Uh, they think that even as a sunken wreck, they're a hazard. And then uh, they're saying that the salvage value of it is much greater in economic impact because you can have 1,500 people for a year dismantling the vessel and making money. And I think the other aspect they said is unless you sandblast it, you can't get rid of the lead-based paint. Yeah. So it's like, well, if they sink by themselves, that's okay. But I don't know. Well, I'm just glad we have some out there we can play with. The risk of lead-based paint is that the paint flakes off and something eats it, and it gets introduced that way. But the paint in itself or lead in itself does not dissolve in the water and contaminate the water. It's just the something has to consume it. And that's really what the risk of lead-based paint even in homes was, was kids peeling off the paint and ingesting it at a point in their life when they can't tolerate any sort of heavy metal condition. So I think the the risk of lead-based paint, especially in the ocean, is way overrated. I know the up in Muskegon, they were doing some work on the Milwaukee Clipper, and the amount of effort it took for them just to, to get approval to paint the vessel was huge. They had to put in big tarps and scrape it and collect it. Uh, so, you know, so all, all the lead paint that came off the vessel was captured. Uh, in the chat room, uh, uh, Craig says it looks like $7 million to do the HMAS Adelaide there. So, yeah, that's yeah, I, I believe it. That, that makes sense. Well, let's get those concrete blocks, put them together, the biodegradable twine. Exactly. They're artificial reefs that way, I suppose. Yeah, I still want to try that project out. I think that would be a good one. I, I, as a side note to that, you know, you got to get a permit to do that. Oh, of course. You've, you've got to get a permit to do anything like that. I, I was going through some other material for a different item, and it was talking about some of the permits I would need to get to do something. That's like, geez, oh, Pete. It's, and it's not so much the permit. It's how much they want you to pay. Oh, really? Did they have a price on that permit? Well, we can talk about that later. But <laughs> Yeah. Well, the, my, my thing is, is from what I read about it, it appeared that the permits were impossible. Um, and I had read, I, I spent, if you remember, but was it last year about this time, I probably spent three months reading up on reefs and it depends on who does it. If you're the right person and you do it, you get to build whatever the heck you want over there by Chud's aquarium. They built that giant one, which everybody considers to be mostly a dead reef, which all they did was pile a bunch of rock in the bottom. And then, uh, but every reef project is considered experimental, so there's all sorts of education requirements and and uh, in for doing it. But yeah, we'll go ahead and talk about that offline. I'd be interested to see uh, what you're able to find. Uh, the next one is an underwater recovery team holds a community outreach event. This is from Buffalo, New York. The Buffalo Police and Underwater Recovery Team showed what they're about at a children's outreach program on Saturday. That we care about the community outreach program was at the local YMCA pool. Demonstrations were given to team, on the teams and how they perform recovery missions underwater. Children had the opportunity to try and scuba gear for themselves and take a dive with a member of the underwater recovery team. Now, that is a great program. I love to see stuff like that, not only for law enforcement, because uh, I don't. most of you probably don't know, but I had been a mounted police officer for a number of years. And the great thing about that is nobody ever went up to pet a cop car but if I was on my horse, I would attract people wherever I went. And it's kind of the same thing with this, is you make the, the law enforcement people much more approachable by having them do these things with the kids and, and get to them at a young age. And then also it's a way of introducing diving, so it's a, it's a, a great thing all the way around. I'd go. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see the equipment anyway. 
Yeah. Well, the, uh, I look at the photo in the article, and it appears to be uh, recreational gear. So I don't know if they just had their their fun stuff, or if that's what uh, wherever they're at. This is a Buffalo, New York, so they're they're going to do some pretty cold weather diving. So. Well, that is a dry suit he has on. It looks like an auger mask, and he does have communications. Yep. Yeah, he, you're you're right. I'm just used to seeing uh, you know the safety guys and the uh, big orange Vikings. Yep. And you also notice that's not an integrated weight belt there. No, he, he's, he's, he's got that. Well, I'm almost just the way it's on him. It, I'm not thinking that was originally set up for him. Uh, he's, he's standing up for photo op. So they right. probably just quick threw it on just to kind of do a demonstration. Yep. Show and tell. Probably they they probably had him, you know, he's doing the Darth Vader routine. That's what it looks like. Oh, you can see he's by the side of the pool. So it makes sense. And then this last article, actually, it's not too common where we make any sort of news. <laughs> so uh, this one was uh, an article from the scubagadget.com website. And uh, they have a new columnist there, Jerry Henkins, who's comparing scuba podcasts. They surface and sink. So um, you know, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and read it. I'll try not to taint your opinions uh, too much. Uh, I agreed with probably about 40% of what he had to say. I kind of thought in general, the, you know, the article was, eh, you know, he, he basically what he did is they said a bad, a good thing about a show and a bad thing about a show and a good thing about a show and a bad thing about a show. And he said some of the things that we've actually said, so we can tell he's doing a little listening. Um, you know, I, I'm guessing he was listening to Rich's podcast and our podcast and kind of mixed it, but you know, he had to put a ding on everything. He couldn't just like anything. Oh, and then by the way, guess what? And we're going to call him out on this. The author has started their own podcast. So, you know, and we're playing into it. We're giving him a little bit of promotion. And that's what prompted on the Facebook page this week uh, my question, which was uh, the one comment they had about Scuba Obsessed was that we were uh, a little too rough, that we weren't completely polished. And without going too much inside baseball, that's actually by design. We. You know, we could go ahead and put a really tight scripted show where we stop every five, ten minutes and do a commercial break. And then we've got the, you know, you you roll out the morning zoo and the kazoo and give everything all tight and everybody sounds like a DJ voice. But, you know, there, there are shows out there that do that and that's not really what it's in for us. So, but we wanted to get your opinions. We posted it out there on Facebook and I appreciate everybody who had comments. We had a ton of comments, probably the most comments we've had for an article in quite a while, we probably in in less than five or six hours, we had a dozen comments. Uh, we had, uh, of course, Rich from Diver Sync had to comment in, uh, and he's the one who po- pointed out that they're doing their own podcast. I didn't pick that up right away. Mm-hmm. We had Scott Lyon, uh, and he said, honestly, one of the things I like about your show is that it's underproduced. A couple of guys and their friends standing up with enthusiasm, exception with diving, type of conversation we have at uh, LDS. Not two radio guys keep up the good work. So we agree. And, and that's really what we're going for. So I think we've kind of hit it. Not that we, we think we're, we're perfect and we've got it. We certainly need to approve. Uh, uh, Rich championed in. And then IR Diver, no way, leave it as is. Listen to your show while I'm trucking. I feel like I'm sitting under the bar chatting with a couple divers about scuba. Plus, the more amusing is when Darren loses his ability to speak sometimes. And then they also want more roundtables, please. So. I have to apologize. I've been behind on that. I got to edit those together. Uh, I just need to find some time to do that. So maybe we'll do a maybe we'll do a big best of, and then I'll try and figure out some way to do it every month. Maybe I, I just got to get a routine on that. The, the the shows we keep it kind of tight, so they're a little bit easier to edit. I'm getting to the point where I can edit one. I can edit an hour an hour of audio in about 15 20 minutes, but uh, the roundtable it probably takes me. Uh, three times the amount of time I'm editing. So uh, a 10-minute roundtable would take about 30 minutes to edit. So that can chew up most of a day to do the roundtable session. But we'll we'll promise we're going to come up with a way to fix that. Plus, we have some other scuba-obsessed podcast programs that will be coming on in a little bit different format than what we're doing now. Uh, Jason Pierce said, don't do anything, love the show. Like all the podcasts out of Michigan, you guys keep talking about diving, keep it up. Oh, and then Jason also said the same thing about the roundtables. Keep those coming. Brent Jackson, keep up the same guys. Thanks, Brent. Craig Castle Mead, 
who's also in the chat room. I prefer the current format. Everyone feels involved. Just a few mates having a chat about. If you have some stock footage of General Restaurant Bar Noise, it'd be exactly a post-dive chat with my mates. That's an idea. Maybe we'll do that. Being able to get involved directly in the round table is great, too. Keep it up. So, you know, and keep up the comments. We like to hear about anything you like to do, like to see. Um, and, and uh, you know, any comments you have, Matt? Well, I thought it was quite an interesting article, and I think the item that got me is, like you said, 37 different podcasts. How many are still doing it? And how many one-shot deals, two-shot deals? You guys have been on for 63 episodes already. And, you know, the aspect about being the Michigan area, well, it's a niche. Podcasts are niche anyway. Exactly. Unless you're teaching, and if you're going to be a technical teaching to a broad spectrum, you can use it any, you know, any ocean, any lake, any whatever. But we're not. We're looking at what do we like to do? What do we do that's common? And basically around here, it's freaking cold water. You got the lakes, you got the ponds, you got the rivers, you got the big lake. Uh, it's a niche audience for those who do that type of diving. I don't do ocean diving. I'm up here. I like what we got. And at least you guys are consistent. You've been out here for a year getting it on. That's what we need. Great. I, I certainly appreciate that That as well. Uh, my thought on, the, on you know, I what I listen to, and I actually do listen to every episode that we do. And I couldn't do that if I didn't like it. So not only do we produce it, put the time into it, but I also listen to it. I also listen to Rich's. Uh, I might not get all. Sometimes I'll do his live. Sometimes it'll be recording. And then I do like uh, Joe the Pod Diver. His is pretty good. You know, I wish he'd be a little bit more consistent just in the timing. Because about the, whenever you feel like uh, Joe's got a routine going, then he disappears for a little bit. Jill had an interesting, that's one that they mentioned was a Breather Pro, uh, Jill Heinerth out of Florida. Uh, she was interesting. She had done one, I, I believe hers was originally affiliated with, with Scuba Board, and then she went and did the Rebreather Pro. But she's got so many projects in the work, I just think, a lot of it is just her schedule. So I keep looking, hoping she's got something because hers are, hers are interesting as well. But, you know, if, if it sounds too much like a radio program, uh, you know, that, that really doesn't interest me. And, and one of the things that we're going to start doing, and we've been doing it, but we're going to, we're going to keep trying to grow. You know, the, the only thing I, as much as I like talking about Michigan diving, that's not the only thing that I want to talk about. So we'll, we'll continue to bring in. And we've had some guests from all over, but uh, it's been fun. We're going to keep it up. We got 63 in. Uh, I, I think, you know, my prediction is we'll make at least 200 without a problem. I hope so. And then, uh, so let's go ahead and talk about uh, the scuba diving this week. We we actually did get some, some diving in. Uh, now, you got some dives in, didn't you, Matt? Well, I got mine in during the week. I think you guys got the last current one, which was um, Sunday. I think you guys went up to Gull Lake. Yeah. Yeah, we went to Gull Lake on Sunday. And our original idea was to get into Lake Michigan, but the weather on Lake Michigan has been bad. And, in fact, I don't think we've had a good day in the last two to three weeks for getting even on the lake. Uh, that's exactly right. Uh, the research they're trying to do on that uh, 2501 yeah. flight, they haven't been able to get out because the uh, lake has been too rough. Yeah. And if you want to know what that, that research is about, uh, take a look at the MSRA website, uh, which I think is shipwrecks.com. Org. Uh, we'll, we'll throw something in the show notes, but they've been working for that plane from the 50s that went down uh, with the help of NUMA and uh, was it Douglas Wilbanks? Wilbanks is the, the operator, as you know, Clyde Kessler is the, the man in charge. Yep. And so they've at least going to get another year in and they're trying, but he's been up here and he hasn't been able to get in the water from what I've been able to hear. Yep. As a side note, uh, talking about uh, MSRA, they're, they're also sponsoring. The um, Ecology Beach cleanup up there in Holland, I believe that's set for May, so we can talk about that later, but I thought I'd put a plug in. They may have that on their site. Oh, that'll be good. I I love a good ecology dive. Yeah, it, it'll be a free item, but the access to the park costs you 10 bucks, basically a carload. So if you take a school bus, maybe it's 10 bucks for the school bus, and you can put 30 guys in it. <laughs> that's an idea. Maybe we'll get Jim to bring his truck. Maybe we can all load in. Um so yeah, that'd be that'd be good. Uh, so we haven't been able to get on Lake Michigan. So we went up to Gull Lake, went to get a dive in, and it's busy. I mean, it's been breezy on Lake Michigan. You know, uh, Bob was out in his boat, and he said that there were waves uh, breaking over the piers, eight ten feet. 
So we decided that we were going to go and hit up Gull Lake, which is a nice lake. It's it's known for being really clear. There's some objects that have been sunk in the water that you can dive on. Everything's all tied together. Well, we went to the first location, which is the one where we had last week, last year's uh, club dive uh, and steak dinner. Uh, went there and we made the rookie mistake of paying the admission. It's one of those where you've got the, you pull up to the guard shack and you take the envelope and you put your money and you stick it in the post. And then we drove down to the water. And this is a, I don't know how many acre lake it is, but it's not a huge lake. It's good size, but respectable. And they had white caps <laughs> on Gull Lake. Been there before, said they would pop off. Yeah, so we we were looking at that, going, you know what, you know, it was, I was going to get wet no matter what, you know, I had drove, you know, they could all stay in the beach, I would go throw the gear on, splash around, even if it was like in the kiddie pool, and I didn't get deep, I was going in, there was no way after four plus weeks of not getting a dive in, you're going to keep me out of the water, Uh, I'd, I'd have loosened the top of a fire hydrant just to get wet at that point. So there's another, on Gull Lake, there's another beach, and it's up on the northern side, and the wind was coming out of the north northwest. So we headed up there, and it was much different. You could walk out. They they had one of the piers on the boat ramp in. If you're in the area, they normally have two there, and they have a floating dock. They didn't have the floating dock in, but they did have one pier next to the boat ramp. If you walked to the end of that pier, it was like, it appeared to be crystal clear. I mean, you easily had some great visibility for a boat dock. You had uh, you know, a good three, four feet with no obstruction. Um, and we also picked up a couple divers, some local divers in the area from Portage. And I apologize for not remembering their names. I asked them two or three times so I could mention it. And I, I can't remember who they are now. But they were there. So we had Jim, myself, Josh, Bob, and Kurt. And then these two other divers we picked up. So we kind of all coordinated and went in. And water temperature ended, be, ended up being 43 degrees. Uh, I... Uh, you know, I stuck with Jim and Josh and Bob and Kurt went their own and the other two, uh, they buddied up and went on in and it was a nice, pleasant dive. I had not been to this part before, so everything was new to me. Uh, they had a couple, look like a sailboats had been sunk. There's a little pl- kid's play set, uh, made out of timbers that was down there. Um, the little dive platform somebody made and, and, and they're, and they're unusual in Gull Lake. The dive platforms are made from like fencing material. Have you noticed that? Say that one more time. The the dive platforms they have there are made like from fencing material, like they take chain link fence and stretch it to make a platform. I've seen that done before, but I, I hadn't noticed the one out there. I noticed the the place where we did the steak fry out. You're talking about things on the bottom though. Just a list of those include a phone booth, a motorcycle, the car, mm-hmm. the ice shanty, you got a swing set, the railroad tracks, you got the ice boat, then you got the regular boat, and then they put that new sailboat out there. Uh, there's a lot of stuff. And as a side note, uh, that's a 2,000 acre lake, by the way. 2,000 and acres. The max, 2,000 acres. And the max depth out there is approximately 110 foot. Just so you have, you can do some deep diving if you want to. Yeah, you could. Um, we hit 40, I think 44 is about what we hit at that northern uh, beach. So it, but go, it, go ahead. I was going to say, Gull Lake is a nice lake. Uh, years ago, they used to have the. Uh, what they would call the uh, turkey hunt out there. And that was an October dive, and they'd put floatable turkeys on the bottom, and then they'd have you know have to hunt for the turkey in a group of two. Uh, they did that for many, many years, and you'd have 100 divers out there for that in the middle of October in a wetsuit. Yeah, the, they uh, had the ducks on a line here. So they had somebody had uh, taken little inflatable ducks, and some of them had become waterlogged. So they were tied in little Ziploc bags and then, and then tied together. And then uh, there was another one that uh, where, where uh, Jim had to float some beer cans that they had suspended from the line. So had to wow. put a little bit of air into them. So that was his. Uh, saw a little bit of life. Uh, life, life, life. There's some bass hanging around the platform, uh, some crayfish along the bottom. Something is putting in some pretty good sized holes. They're about big enough to put your fist in the bottom. So something's keeping those holes cleared out. Do you have, you know what would be in those? Not really. Uh, quite often around here, when you do that, it's going to either be catfish that have been laying on the bottom, and they get agitated, and then they move out real quick. They'll make a hole with their tail. Same thing as turtles, mm-hmm. especially the big ones. Yeah. 
So I, I figured I wasn't going to go about poking my finger in there. I still have my winter gloves on, but uh, uh, no no sense giving anything a chance to, to gnaw on my hand. Yeah, you're going to stick something in there and put down a belly clip or something. Yeah. So, I mean, the water visibility, Kurt was calling it 8 to 10 feet. Bob was saying 10 to 12. I think it was 15. Because at one point I knew that they were going to argue with me while I was diving. So I said, well, let me figure out what I think the distance uh, is of the visibility I'll stop there, go to the bottom, settle on the bottom, look up, and if I can see the top, then that's what I'll call the visibility. So I got, I was at 22 feet, and I could clearly see the surface of the water. The surface or light? <laughs> surface. I could see, you know, because we had, I could see the the ripples, you know, as the waves were were playing in the water. I could see that, you know, any deeper than that, and it was like you said, you could just see the light like a halo. But yeah. at 22 feet, I could see that. Now, uh, horizontally, yeah, it, it did feel like about 15, especially when you're diving next to each other. Other, you know, we have a way of, uh, you know, hitting silt. Uh, boy, I was this all winter. It seemed like every time I was going diving, I was adding two pounds to my weight belt, and I was starting to get worried because I'm like, how fat can I get over the course of a winter where I can't sink my body down? And we've been doing a lot of river dives. And that one ice dive, I pretty much stood under the ice and I couldn't get all the way down. And it was nice to get into a dive in some calm water without current. And I actually had a six-pound weight in my pocket that I was able to get rid of. And I'm probably at least two to three pounds over overweighted. So uh, I'm coming up with a little bit different strategy for weighting. I think I'm going to go to more clip-on weights and then have less on my belt. So it'll be a little bit easier to tweak up or down because I, I, I want to, that's really my goal. My buoyancy, I think this year has been much better and I want to just get rid of some of this extra weight, which also help with some air consumption. My air consumption has been, been actually pretty good. I, I, I feel like I'm about on par with most experienced divers now. So now it's just to kind of take it to the next level. Once you get past that 15 foot to get all the air out of your suit and then you purge your BC, you normally do pretty good. It's that first 15 for you, I think. Yeah, yeah. The uh, but even on this one, there was times uh, after I got because I when Jim and Josh went back in, I adjusted my weight and went back in, and I was more I had more than enough weight. So that's why I think I could drop another two pounds because I I don't mind, especially when we're doing deep lakes and uh, deep dives in Lake Michigan. I'll actually go a little light because a lot of times we're going down an anchor line, so I can yeah. use that to help me. Yeah, you know, in the wetsuit, we we do trap a little bit of air you know it, even floating on the surface if i float for a good 10 15 minutes i find i can get under easier than if i tried to go right on in and down so uh but if i got a line i can help pull myself down and like you said once you get to 20 feet even if you're underweighted it will it will balance out because that neoprene starts to compress and you know the just the the what happens when you go to depth underwater so well, it was, the opportunity this year when we start getting out there on the big ones is to uh, see if you can get your trim that you can just be on the surface, purge your BC, and go down. Yeah, that's that's the target. Yeah, that, that yeah, I I think so. I'll I'll do that. But I'm gonna also another goal this year, which we've been talking about over and over again, is the dry suit. So my goal is also to get to the point to where uh, I've got a dry suit, and then I I get to start the whole buoyancy challenge all over. But that'd be a good thing. Looks like I'll be diving by myself. <laughs> no, why you say that? I'll 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 muck dive in a dry suit. Well, then you won't need to have the shanty anymore. No, I think I'll still need the shanty. You still gotta get in and out of the dry suit. Yeah, but if you're dry, it's not too bad. No, no, you know, well that way actually you look at it as a positive thing because I can let you go first. I can just you know take my time. Uh, now now it's a it's whoever's out first jumps in the shanty. And that's usually the wetsuit guys. Yeah. Well, that, that was the thing is I was going to make fun of him this weekend because I was the first, well, I can't say I was the first one. And Bob, Bob and Kurt were actually in just a little before me, but everybody was out before I was out. Uh, I, I was, uh, I, I'm trying to do some new artwork. So I spent about four or five minutes at five feet, just looking up, seeing how bottles, bubbles would play with the surface. And that was kind of fun. Uh, I kind of wish I had my camera, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> that was going to be my next question. Who took a camera this time? Uh, I don't think any of us had a, had a camera. I just had my uh, iPhone, which is the photos you'll see in the show notes is from that. But uh, that's another thing. I got to get a camera underwater. But uh, rigging up a uh, spare 
kind of a bailout, but I'm not going to do a pony bailout. I'm going to do 80s for my bailout. And then that way I'll convert my 80s when I go to doubles. My my 80s will just become more uh, bailouts for when we get into tech diving. So you're going to use the 80 as a sling tech? Yep. That's the smart way. Yeah, I, I just thinking about it. The only thing I got to do is uh, I might need to replace the valve because my tanks I've got now, the 80s, one is a regular yoke connection and the other is a yoke and a din. So I think I might want to do them both, the convertible yoke and din. So I'm a, I'm a little upset with that, with buying the tanks. That's a whole, is it just, you know, I, I don't know whether to feel like I got gypped out of the one or I got something extra with the other, but, you know. One way or another, I'm going to have to take change out that valve, or maybe I just sell that tank and buy another one. I don't know. I, I hear everybody kind of does it a little bit differently. Yeah, a lot depending on what kind of regulators you have for your main, your backup, and then your extra. Yeah. Well, I'm going yeah. to buy. I'm going to buy that Scuba Pro from Kurt that he's got. That that's a that's a nice. That'll be one of my backup bailout regs. Well, I'm always partial to having your best regulator on your bailout. Mm-hmm. Because if you need it, you need it to work. Yeah. Well, that Scuba Pro, I did when you first told me about it, I did a lot of research on the uh, the first stage and the second stage, and they're considered to be pretty good. Well, I'm going to get my uh, Cyclones rebuilt. I mean, I've got two other rigs I'm using totally, but I've got a couple of Cyclones I want to get rebuilt. It's going to cost me a couple of shekels, but I have always liked those, even if they are 25 or 30 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some of those are, if, if something's reliable and you work on it and you can rely on it, that's great. Well, I've never had those freeze up on me or free flow. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Knock on wood, I haven't had any of that problem on on my regs yet, other than getting the bugs in it. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah. So uh, I still got to get mine serviced. The annual's coming up due here real quick, but I I can't I can't handle missing a dive. So, oh yeah, that'll be that'll be scary. I, I but I gotta get those in. And uh, so did you get a dive in? Uh, not since Thursday. I was getting some in this week, but I got sidetracked to doing some research. Uh, we so finally one... found out that those uh, vents that we had found, those 10 that we had tagged, mm-hmm. they actually turned out to be aeration vents. Ah. Uh. And they were put out there in uh, Indian Lake. And it's a, another way of getting rid of weeds instead of adding chemicals. Uh, they're using the addition of oxygen or air to mix with the bottom sediment so it decays right. And it actually has reduced the silt layer out there about a foot and a half in the areas that has been introduced. Well, that makes sense, uh, you know, especially with the number you were finding. I was thinking, oh, my gosh, what's what's happening? Do we have some volcanic activity going on that's bubbling up through that lake? Well, I kept looking for the warm ones because then we could have dove really nice. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been something. Oh, but uh, so that turned out to be pretty interesting. I went ahead and flew around it today and validated some information I had. And uh, you're right on the current, uh, like over at uh, Pawpaw today. If you're on the west side, your visibility is half as good as the east side because the wind is coming from the uh, east to the west. So you can actually see probably 10, 14 feet on the west side and on the east side, you can't. Hmm. And that's like you ran into with the white caps over there at Gull Lake. Yeah, well, that makes sense because we had quite a bit of wind going on. Yeah. And even though the, the big weeds, meaning the tentacles all the way up to the surface, um, in that one section, you know, it's like almost 15 feet of weeds. Uh, they're not quite that far up yet. Uh, they're still down, but maybe they're getting to be two and three feet off the bottom. It's pretty thick. So if you're going to be doing some grubbing in the weedy areas, this is a good time to get in there before it gets any worse. Yeah, I, I do need to get in. Well, I'm trying. I'm, you know, I've got dives. Jim wanted to go diving again this weekend. Um, so, so you guys have a date set? Well, it looks like Saturday. I mean, this is Easter weekend. Uh, I'm sure it's now, Easter. Sunday. Yeah, so Sunday's Easter, but my family does Easter. Uh, my wife's family does it on Saturday, and my family does it on Sunday. So it ties up both days. I don't get Good Friday off from work. Uh, but I found out that the, the Saturday Easter is at 3. So I've now calculated into my formula that I do have time to go diving Saturday. So there's a rumor that there's a Lake 16 dive going to be Saturday. So if, uh-huh. I, so if I can get them to leave early enough, I can go do that. We, it needs to be about 11 a.m. 
start time, you know, 11 a.m. at Lake 16 for me to do it. Because if you do, get there in the back. Yeah, because because if you do it at noon, it's about 12:30 by the time everybody gets geared up. You swim out to the platform, you go down, and it's really about an hour dive by the time everybody comes back out. So you're now at about 1:32 o'clock, and then everybody gets something to eat, and then it's an hour drive back. So it's about four or five o'clock. So really need to get there uh, before then. Yeah, I'm gonna hit pop off. I'm going to check my weed area out. So that's what I'm going to do Saturday. So Saturday you're going to do Papa? Yeah, I think Rich was going to go out. I was going to show him the weed area. You said Rich? I had, uh, Curtis. Oh, okay, Richard. Richard. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, I had good luck last week with the jug and the two irons and stuff. So it's like, whoa, <laughs> and that's not far offshore. You're talking less than 10 feet of water. So you can, you can get a lot of time out of your out of your tank. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I want to get – get some time in and uh on some more muck diving too so one way or another saturday i'm diving again so that'll be two weeks in a row so it'll, it'll get that streak going again I'm, I'm i'm trying to get that three or four dives in a week <clears throat> so that because i get we gotta make up for lost time this this weather on the great lakes has been driving me nuts i so want to get out and and dive some of those spots we have been diving last year and i am ready absolutely yeah uh I think Ken's got another week off next month, so we'll probably do like we did this one and try to dive at least three or four times during the week at different places. I'm looking forward to that. Hmm. And so. being a little warmer would be nice. I, I, I'd like to start getting into my two tank dives instead of just one now. Yeah, well, that's what I need. I, I need I need about to be consuming two tanks because that's, that's, that's the only way I'm going to make up to it uh, after, after having such a – slow spring we've had i actually dove more in january than i think since then february to now put together yeah well you did we did quite a few there in, in uh january we yeah, started off right yeah we had some open water there so we got some dives in the rivers again and then the ice came so we hit that so it just kind of seems that always that's always the way and we had a couple uh mud club divers <laughs> who who hadn't gotten that much in and they they ended up uh getting wet for the first time this year so we'll, we'll have to get something going to once we know for sure we can get out in the lake. I, th- I think we're going to have a big surge of divers all at once, being optimistic. Yep, I'm getting my kayak out this weekend. I'll have that available because i uh, got a couple of spots I want to hit, and the only logical way I'm going to do it, uh, at least with the kayak. So I'll be doing some kayak diving again. Looking forward to that. Yeah, kayak diving's nice. I'm, I'm gonna have to try that sometime. I, I, I'd still like to. We had talked about doing some drift diving in some of these rivers, or the people like to go tubing. So do something like that, maybe with a hooker rig or you know a whole bunch of tanks. Make a good day of it. I am so ready. We need just a little warmer weather. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna happen. You know, I, I know it's finally made it when I have everybody at work complaining about how hot it is. <laughs> so my wife does that at 70 degrees yeah it, it, it's funny that but it's the, the same people who complain all winter it's too cold and they're complaining it's too hot so uh you're not going to make them happy but it, whatever it is it's still good for diving yeah yeah and then uh we we did have some requests for uh scuba obsessed merchandise so that had been one of my projects i've been working on this week so head on over to the scuba obsessed website uh, look along the top menu. I think I've got one that either says uh, scuba swag or scuba stuff. I can't re- I can't even remember now, but I posted that up. Yeah, I'm by no means done, and I haven't actually purchased anything. Uh, the company we're doing that with is called Zazzle. So uh, I'm playing around with all their tools, getting some stuff, putting some designs together. Uh, if that works out, we'll expand the lines because I've got a lot of art that I've, I've put together that I just haven't put up, and I finally – said ah, i need to get to it so go over there take a look let me know what you like to see uh, let me know what you how you think the prices are uh, i i've used a couple different sites or some i haven't published that i've got out there uh, just trying to see everything that's all together actually one of them i'm looking for mac is i want one that does golf balls <laughs> <laughs> so we could have the official scuba obsessed golf ball we'll know we'll make it when we're out diving on a wreck and then we see one of those come rolling by so that's true. Uh, so that'd be like a double whammy. It'd, it'd be official dive, but with an official golf ball as well. Yeah. So, and then also I need to do some stuff with hats. The hats are a little bit more involved because 
I, I'm not real happy with the, uh, you know, the, the way I look at it, I'm not putting merchandise out there that I'm not, that I wouldn't buy. And I'm not a big fan of those foam front trucker hats, which seems to be, but what a lot of the websites like to do. So I'm probably going to pony up for the extra and get some embroidery designs done. So, uh, that might take a little bit. So go out there, take a, uh, look at them. Let me know what it thinks. There's spot on the website for if you like the merchandise, you can comment right there in the merchandise, or you can leave it on our fan page on uh, Facebook, scubaobsessed.com. Also has some comment areas. Go ahead over there. And then, uh, oh, also we did start, if you're, uh, we're starting to put together some dive information. Did, now, did you put the newsletter out in the Mud Club site, Mac? Yes, I did. Yeah. So if you want to get some GPS coordinates of Rex in Michigan, uh, we had that in the newsletter, which is now posted out there. So you can go ahead and take a look at that. And we're also putting a dive condition page on the Mud Club website, which is mudclub.scubaobsessed.com. Uh, I finally did that because I was thinking how crazy it is. Every time we talked about wonder what the weather's like on, on the lake, I had to go look through my website bookmarks. It was driving me crazy. I put them on there. So right now it is a little Midwest biased. But by all means, uh, let me know some of your favorite uh, marine forecast pages and sites. I'll put them up there because I want to have a nice resource. And then we'll, we'll probably break them up by location to make them real convenient. Uh, the websites are also mobile device friendly. If you go and visit on a mobile device, it detects it and it makes it. So uh, part of what I want to do with the GPS coordinates, and we're going to have a new website rolled out, which will even have some of that coming in the future, is that in my mobile device, I wanted to be able to hit a button and get the GPS. So if I had a, a GPS system that went out, I'd have another way of getting it. Because uh, it's amazing how far offshore you can be and still have an Internet connection. Now, what does that word have an app for that? We'll have an app for that, so uh, some of the stuff that we're working on. Also, if you know people who want to be on the show, we're currently looking for guests and even some guest hosts. Uh, we're going to expand the rotation a little bit, get uh, some more people in. We're, we're currently, if you if you know people who are scuba-obsessed and uh, excessively dive, and excessively dive is like Mac. Mac excessively dives. You need to be doing about 100 dives a year. And that's kind of like the the baseline. How many dives did you get in last year, Mac? I really don't know. I know it filled up two logbooks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing, because I know what I did, and I'm picturing you had to outdo me two to three times. So I'm betting that you had to have been, you, there was no way you were under 150, and I could bet you'd have even been over 250, maybe even 300. I don't think that far, but. Uh... <laughs> well, because you, you had some, there were some weeks. When you were diving during the week, like when you're doing some of your surveys, how many dives a day were you getting then? Uh, at least three. You had to watch out for your deco times, right? Three dives. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't, if you're doing three dives uh, a day for a couple weeks at a stretch, that really adds up. And then you were doing some along the pier there where you had quite a few logs. And then, I mean, even this, this last week here, you, you probably, even though you're only doing you know less than one tank a day, you were still logging them. Yeah, we, uh, we basically got a solid hour, a little over an hour, actually. Uh, like I said, it's warming up out there at Indian Lake, 57 degrees. Yeah. I mean, you can take your gloves off and not freeze your hands. Oh, that's what but, I like to hear. Oh, yeah, let me tell you. So it's coming. We're, we're prime in the dive season, so get out to your dive shops. Uh, get some get some gear. Get some lessons if you don't know how to dive. This, <clears> is, the, this is the year to do it. Don't wait. Plenty of time. And then uh, we even had, uh, you know, we've kind of been all over with subjects this show, but we even at the Mud Club meeting, we had our Mud Club Dive Club meeting was on Tuesday, and we had a couple new visitors from uh, the university's dive club. Yeah, that was uh, really pleasant. They just started a new one. Uh, most of the people there appear to be more warm water oriented. Uh, some of the dives they've had over the two years was in Florida during the uh, March time. Um, but it was nice to know they've got eight or 10 people now interested in diving there. Mm -hmm. uh, so hopefully they'll rotate over and join us in some of our dives. That would be great. It'd well, be... Let's we can find something for them to do. We've got enough equipment that we can share around. So it shouldn't be a problem if I don't have the gear. Yeah. Well, and we, we normally seem to have enough boats. I mean, there are times where we're sitting there going, okay, who do we kick off because we don't have enough, but on average, uh, especially we start getting three or four boats in the water. There's usually some flexible space. Plus, that the more the more people you get diving, the more diving. Uh, I mean, we saw what Jim and I were doing to 
both you and Bob and Kurt getting in the water a little bit more. So, you know, maybe the same thing happens with these new divers. We just keep it growing, get more people in the water and get some excitement again. If you start feeding it, you do. It's like, you know, you get out there with Ken, he'll take his boat out. Well, then if he does that, Larry goes. And then if Larry and them go, then we'll have Jim take his boat. Bob will take his, his inflatable. Yep. Again, when we get out there for the wreck diving, though, we can get five, six boats out there very easily. Yeah. Well, th- this weather has been concerning me because I, I want to get some dives planned because, you know, we've had Rich, who who's happens to be in the chat room, and we've been talking about the Ann Arbor 5. I, we need to get that on the, the calendar sometime <clears throat> so he knows that when when he can come up or maybe we should check to see when he can come up. We'll get him on that Ann Arbor 5. But uh, I'm just I, I just feel so deprived because we haven't been in Lake Michigan. I'm just stressing. I'm last year, you guys had already been on the Havana. Yeah. Well, we had, the, no, we were, the, yeah, it was a month ago. We had done the Havana. We had done the uh, South Bend out of Michigan City. Yeah. Uh, God, we'd probably done Havana again because we had everybody. Well, we had everybody from the club. Remember the first dive from the club? Wasn't that last year about this time where Ken had his boat and everybody? Yeah, matter of fact, I was just thinking about that. Yeah. Well, when did, when did we do that barge and crane for the first time? That had to have been like the beginning of May. Yeah, it was. I'd have to look it up, but yeah. Yeah. We went out to that two weeks in a row. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, well, we'll, we'll get there. It's coming. So just, just a higher density of obsession that we'll be doing. Yeah. Come on, warm weather. Certainly. So I think uh, we about done it. So if you have any comments for the show, go ahead and send them to the, the show at scubaobsessed.com. We'd certainly love to hear them. And uh, I think we're time. We're that time of the show where we do the uh, scuba joke of the week. Do a groan now or later? Uh, you, you you can do a preemptive groan if you like. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah, you, you'll you'll probably want to. So <clears throat> everybody in the chat room, which I we thank you for coming on. Great chat room tonight talking. Um, we had uh, Craig, who's who's uh, in, from the future. He's he's actually been on tonight. He didn't have to work. Uh, They've got a nice five-day weekend. Everybody in Australia also has a holiday in addition to Good Friday and Easter. They also have, uh, let's see what they call it, uh, ANZAC Day, Aussie New Zealand Army Corps Day, follows in the middle of Easter this year. So uh, to all our listeners from down under, uh, you you get another day. You should (laughs) I don't know why I'm thanking you, but uh, you, you got a, you got another day. So hopefully you enjoy it and get out and do some diving or, or snorkeling, as the case may be. So here we go. A dive boat would travel every day out of the St. Joe River to take tourists in their favorite dive spots. Now, don't laugh. That's just uh, the setup. One summer, they noticed a girl who was in the beach pretty much every day. She wasn't unusual, nor was a travel bag she carried, except for one thing. She would approach people who are sitting on the beach, grants around fruitatively, and then speak to them. Generally, the people would respond negatively, and she would wander off. But occasionally, someone would nod, and there would be a quick exchange of money and something she carried in her bag. The dive boat crew assumed she was selling drugs and debated calling the cops. But since they didn't know for sure, they continued to watch her. After a couple weeks, the captain said to the first mate, Have you ever noticed how she only goes up to people with boom boxes or some other type of electronic device? He hadn't and said so. Then he said, tomorrow I want you to grab a towel, a big radio, and go lay out on the beach. Then we'll find out what she's really doing. Well, the plan went off without a hitch. The captain was full of anticipation when he saw the girl walk up to the boat, the dive boat's first mate, and then leave. The captain piloted the boat near the beach and picked up his undercover crew member. Well, he said, is she selling drugs? No, she's not, he said, enjoying the probability more than he should have. Well, what is it then? What is she doing? The captain boomed. The man grinned and said, she's a battery salesperson. Batteries, cried the captain. Yes, she sells seashells by the seashore. I was right when I groaned the first time. Yeah, yeah, that was, it was, it was appropriate to groan. <laughs> but you do try. Yeah, yeah, well, a little effort, a little time there too, so... <laughs> If, if you want to get into the, uh, we'll do the, we'll do a quick roundtable tonight. So uh, yeah, it's one of the advantages of listening live. We get everybody together. So just send us your Skype account, and we'll go ahead and get that set up. Until next week, go out there and get wet and be safe.
Uh, I am so ready to get over this cold and cough. It's been driving me nuts. That's, you know, that's, on, your, on your talk show, I'm looking at that, it's got title 63 and then past episode to 67. Well, because uh, there's a couple more doubles. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, because we do the, when we do the round table, I break that in a separate episode. So right. the total number of units. Plus, I did have one I posted twice because iTunes is acting up. So anybody in the chat room want to get on? Let's see. Rich, he's in. So we'll go ahead and invite Rich. And one minute. Oh, there he is. I had I already had him on focus, so I didn't even show him. So there we've got Rich coming in. We'll grab uh, Craig. He's live tonight. We'll get... Um, Hi guys. Hey Rich. Howdy. And then we also have. Hold on, uh, I gotta get rid of the uh, echo. There we go. You there? Yep, we're there. Yeah, I'm gonna give me a drink real quick though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Make it a stiff one. <laughs> yeah, no water. That's for diving in. <laughs> 